I don't want to live anywhere else yet, so... But I still think I'm kind of in between being considered a New Yorker, like, with quotes around it. I'm still, like, yeah. not... I think it's a sliding scale. I think everybody has their standards. For a lot of people, it's, like, 10 years. That's, like, the standard, but I don't know. Like, I feel like I'll never know this place well enough to like run around saying I'm a New Yorker and then I'm lost all the time. You'd be so. surprised. You'd, you'd be surprised, <laughs> like, especially how quickly time accelerates here. Oh yeah. I actually noticed that when I moved here, yeah. like, you know, I would blink and a week would go, a week would go by. I think I still feel the same age as when I came here because time has moved so fast. I don't feel like two years has gone by. What brought you out here? My girlfriend's job actually got us out here. What does she do? She works at Paperless Post. You know, they paid for us to move and it was pretty much the only way that we were going to make it out here. But there was like a, you know, a goal of moving here because yeah. we had both visited like several times and we're both originally from Kansas City, mm -hmm. which is a place that I love. But we were like wanting to do something different and like a little bit like with more options, I guess. Is it a good place to do what you do? I think so. I mean, like I wouldn't be able to do stuff like this, you know, yeah. if I were in Kansas City or, you know, I would, but it would be like on a smaller scale, I guess. I was like under the impression that something great can happen in Kansas City, but no one would know about it. Like that's kind of the, the sad thing about it, I think. Big fish, small pond situation. Well, I'm, I'm not considering myself the big fish. I just think there are plenty of big fishes that could be big fishes elsewhere too. Yeah. It's just whatever really cool, awesome stuff is happening there, like for whatever reason, you know, people like don't know about it. People yeah. don't know it's how cool Kansas City is, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not shitting on Kansas City. I'm saying it's awesome. It's just like, for whatever reason, there's not a whole lot of people paying attention to it. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because yeah. there's so much happening at the same time. It's, it's almost yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, like I had the worst FOMO constantly like, yeah. moving here and now I'm just like, I'm just not going to look unless I'm actually going to leave my house tonight. After two years, you're already kind of at the point you're... If I look, then I know what I'm missing. Yeah. So I might as well just not. <laughs> the internet has changed things so much that in some ways it almost doesn't really matter where you're based out of. Yeah. But then there's, I, I would say that that's, that's true. And I don't, I'm not trying to have a hot take or sure. anything. It's just, I just know that my life changed dramatically without like anything changing about me except for where I lived. How so? Just more opportunities, hands down just being able to do more things. How does that work though? I mean, how much of it is you kind of going out and seeking things? How much of it is networking? I think some of it, it, I mean, it could be networking too, but there's also more like a larger community here of like illustrators. There, there just are. So whenever you go to like events, they're usually well attended and you can actually talk to the people you want to work with instead of just sending them an email and not being like a face, you know, you're just an email they get every few months. Did you feel when you first got here though, like you had to hit the ground running and, and hustle? Yeah, I did. I w was trying to go to everything, like every sort of networking event and stuff like that, just because I was like, I'm here now, I can do it. Cause mm -hmm. I would want to do that kind of stuff more in Kansas city and it didn't, didn't come up as much, but yeah, I did. I tried to go to everything. And then I started to realize like, that's not necessary. It's not really necessary, but it's a good place to start. Probably. I always tell people, especially when it comes to doing something that seems crazy, like, you know, moving across the country <laughs> yeah. or quitting your day job to, you know, pursue art full time, things like that, that you, you need to do it when you're relatively young, when you still have the, the energy to do it. Or, <laughs> you know, you need to do it when you have the energy to like work a full time job and then go home at night and then work on your book. Yeah. I mean, that that's like a rare thing to have. It's like, it's part energy and just part enthusiasm mm -hmm. and part like, yeah, just like hopefulness for like what you can do with whatever it is that you're doing. 
But I think I was kind of lucky because I started in Kansas City and didn't start in New York that the cost of living is dramatically more manageable. So, you know, I was working as a freelancer like right after I graduated and I haven't had a full-time job or whatever in the entire time that I've been graduated from college. In New York as well? Yeah. You're able to make it on art at this point? Yeah. <laughs> I'm and The illustration stuff. And yeah. then the comics stuff is like what I do for me, I think. It's like what makes me feel like I'm creating a work of art or whatever. I mean, when you talk about, again, this idea of, you know, working a eight-hour shift or like being on your feet all day and going home, it's a hell of a lot harder to do it if you're not inspired to do it. If yeah. if it's not something that you're constantly thinking about when you're at work, then you're not going to go home and work on it. Yeah. And I had um, jobs like full-time and otherwise, like all through college. Mm. And I've worked since I, I, in Kansas, you can start working when you're 15 and I've been working. So like I, I did you can my drive a tractor when you're 10. <laughs> yeah, and yeah then... <laughs> you can actually like, you can start driving a car when you're 14 yeah. and you can start working when you're 15 or at least that's what it was whenever. Yeah. yeah. So I like started working at like a pizza like shop, like, like that early. So I, I, I did my time with shitty jobs. Yeah. I don't want, want to do that again. You can tell who has had to do it and who hasn't. I've like, I would say probably the weirdest job I had was I was a valet for two years. So I like parked cars at like this, I guess it was like the ritziest place in Kansas City. It sounds kind of cool, right? Yeah. I mean, I got to like, if you, if a Mercedes pulled up, you're just yeah. like boring. Cause like there was somebody who got to park the Maserati yeah. like every Friday and I never got to cause that was like. They're afraid I would scratch it or whatever because I did scratch some cars. That's, you know what? Fair, fair play. <laughs> so I was like, don't let me. I don't want to anyway. And it, it was like, I guess, fun or whatever and like really not that stressful of a job because uh, you don't really deal with people that much. Yeah. And that was the thing I hated about most jobs was like I would just be like drained from talking to people all day. And whenever you're a valet, they just hand you the keys and then you just run. You like literally run around and chase cars and like get them. And like it was kind of silly, but also like a pretty fun job. And that's, that's the primary one I had throughout all of college. You went to art school? Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to the Kansas City Art Institute. Okay. Yeah. Were comics a thing there? Not, not like as like a, I, there was just like an illustration department and you kind of could focus on whatever it is that you wanted to. And they were, they kind of gave us an array of things, but I would say the way the department was structured, it was definitely geared towards like being a freelancer mm -hmm. and it was almost like um, a trade school in a way. It was sort of like this thing to prepare you for yeah. the pace of working from like job to job and not knowing like what is going to be thrown at you next. Oh, just the, sort of the pragmatism, not the actual art itself, but how yeah. to survive. Yeah. I, I had I had um, Lauren Weinstein on the show recently and she teaches at SVA uh -huh. and she said that she wishes there was an element of there where they can just not dissuade people from doing it, but really clue them into the harsh realities of attempting <laughs> to survive as a cartoonist. Yeah. I mean, as a cartoonist, I don't know how mm -hmm. to do that. That's yeah. why I, I kind of wear a lot of hats with my like freelancing. So I've done like illustrations for like nonfiction books. I've done a lot of editorial. Like I'd say editorial is my, where I make the most mm -hmm. of my income. I've also just done weird, odd jobs, some like large mural projects. And like I recently finished an animation project with a friend. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know. Like it's, it's never just one thing. So in that way, I feel like the way the department was structured was kind of like on point, even though they were throwing like radically different things at us all the time. So yeah, we would have like one week we have to do an animation project and then the next week we have to do like 
you know, a gig poster, which is obviously like the thing that you want to do, like yeah. in your dreams. Yeah. And then, a, and then a bunch of like weird yeah. editorial stuff. From a business perspective, what was the most useful piece of information that you got? Just being in Kansas City was the thing that helped me the most business wise, mm. just because I was like able to save a lot of money and like learn how to gauge like what m- my jobs would turn out to be. Like I could start like estimating like how much I would be able to take in like each month and find patterns mm-hmm. and stuff and like develop a steady set of clients. Cause I think that like what people, they don't really tell you too in free and being a freelancer is that, yeah, you'll have like these weird, you know, off the rails projects, but then you kind of still, ha- you have like these 10 clients that you work with all the time. And that's like who you make, like you basically kind of work for them, even though you're a freelancer. In the two years that you're here, do you feel like you've struck that balance that you're in a good spot as far as freelancing? Yeah, I feel that way. I, I feel like I should like knock on one. Sure, sure. like, there are still some times where I'm like, oh yeah, like no one has to hire me again. Like there's no rule yeah. out there for them to do it. You do have to be good at like storing your nuts for the winter, so to speak, because yeah, like that's... even the most professional people will tell you that there are going to be dry spells. Yeah, there are. And like, I think it's different for everybody, but from the, I, all the freelancers that I kind of know now, I would say that like, Sometimes early summer is like a really dry spell for Mm. like a lot of people and myself included. And like at the end of the year, like around the holidays is like whenever things are also dry. So like I know to expect those things. So it almost almost like splits the year in two. Yeah. But if you know when to like to store and when to like use or whatever, that's and that's like something that you either have or you don't, I think. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe if there was one skill that like freelancers (laughs) <laughs> probably need to have is that one because <laughs> then you know you can't just get your paycheck and spend it because there's also a little thing called taxes that are not taken out of that so if you and, and that, that comes back and gets you like every year um i've made some major mistakes in in doing taxes i mean like not like illegal mistakes yeah. just where i've like You've not lost money i've lost you, money yeah. like i haven't deducted correctly mm-hmm. and i've just because i've tried to do it myself and the, the answer is hire someone. I think it's great that the school you went to is, again, teaching this kind of pragmatic approach to, I don't to doing know. it. I feel like they would still have to – they'd have to spend so much time trying to, like, teach someone how to do their taxes as a freelancer. I feel like that should be an <laughs> essential element of their – at least as far but as, like – They'll throw stuff out at you and be like, oh, you should put away, like, this percentage and not yeah. spend it because that's probably the maximum that you'll get taken out. So do that. Full-time work, is that something that interests you? I mean, if you found the right publication? I have, like – I've thought about this a lot and – there are a few things that I think would ha- would require me to like s- like focus just on that one thing, which would translate to a full time job, and that'd be mm-hmm. if I started working on like a long form animation project. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm I'm not an animator, but I have been involved with you know creating assets for animation and like stuff storyboarding like. and yeah and character like, design and yeah and um, layout doing just pretty much everything, but the actual animating part because that's just not in my skill set as of now but it's something i want to learn if i was involved in something like that i would take it or i've always kind of had like a fantasy of being like an art director from Mm. time to time for whatever projects but i do like freelancing so it's kind of you know where my heart is i think i mean it sounds like you like not i'm not just the freedom of freelancing and time management and all that but also the ability to work on a lot of different projects at the same time yeah so you don't ever get super stagnated and like frustrated with whatever it is that you're working on and if there's a dry spell you've got something you've got backup 
Yeah. And it, whenever there are these dry spells, that's whenever comics get to come to the forefront for yeah. me. And I kind of like right now I'm being able, I'm able to kind of start planning out a new project, which is something I haven't really had time for. This would be the follow up to the book that came out this month. Yeah. Follow up. I don't know if it's going to be in any way related. The next, yeah, the, the next, next project. The next project. Yeah. yeah. When did you finish Cannibal? Actually like a year and a half ago. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's a pretty big gap, right? There's a big gap. And then I also did like the shorter book called Crimes with Pirate Press in the, in, in the middle of it. So that one actually has like, it looks different. Cause like I, the thing with long form, like, like with a graphic novel, that's like almost 300 pages. Yeah. It's like, you know, 300 pages ago, I decided I would draw these characters this sure. way. And then halfway through, I was like, oh, I wish I would have done it differently. But then it's, you know, it is what it is. By mid-book, what were you frustrated with? I just think that I could have had more fun with the way that I, like, did it. I just wanted to be, like, super clean and, like, I don't want to use the word efficient, but I was using, like, I think I was really focusing on, like, symbols of things. I mean, it's smart of, because you know you're getting into a 300-page book. And yeah, you, you, I was I trying mean, to work smart. shortcuts. Yeah, and... I think that now I've taken a lot more risks. And I think that's another thing about moving to New York, too. It's like seeing all the people around me taking risks with their work, like really just going nuts and like making crazy drawings has been like a really big influence on me because I was like always trying to play it safe with my work before because I was like not really like around. I mean, there are yeah, obviously a lot of people that were taking a lot of risks, but uh, in Kansas City, but like there wasn't as much of like a positive response to yeah, it. it was too ha- like Hallmark people. is like based out of Kansas yeah. City and it was like the biggest employer of illustrators. So like me drawing like crazy monsters and stuff and like that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't get me work in, in Kansas City. Yeah. So if you were trying to get hired somewhere, I mean. Didn't Robert Crumb work at Hallmark? He worked at a card place for a while like that was like his main illustrating job <laughs> i mean i don't know maybe but that would have been like so long ago and I mean, yeah. and then that's also just being like a skilled drafts person who can draw anything as long as you have stuff that's out yeah. there as long as it's in your portfolio yeah whatever you do in your spare time that's kind of your own business yeah but i guess like what i'm saying is like you wouldn't necessarily get positively re- sure. rewarded since moving here and seeing people like just just like explore like what they do like what they're interested in to like the fullest and getting to meet those people and seeing that they're just like normal people you know yeah. like they're not just like some crazy geniuses or whatever they're all just weird introverts like all cartoonists yeah yeah, yeah. so like i've just but i started working on the book while i was still living in kansas city so mm-hmm. i think that's also why the style is so more reserved than the next book crimes which is like a lot messier and textural just you can see my hand in it a lot more and i think in the in the future that's kind of the direction i want to go because it's like i don't know it's almost like making it is like this crazy like fury where you're just like <laughs> yeah i mean the word messy implies perhaps there isn't as much like planning involved ahead yeah. of time yeah i mean, I mean, I mean cannonball was planned like yeah. every single bit of it was extremely this happens and i like wrote a script for it it's all like meticulous you want the storyline to be as freeform as the art i think that the stories, I'm always going to want to know what's happening, but the art, I want to be able to let loose a little bit on. Yeah. And since then, I've become more comfortable with myself in that way. So that's like another change that happened, I think. Maybe not because of New York. It could have just been from getting older and more comfortable like in my own skin. I talked to a cartoonist once, and, and, <laughs> and he said uh, there, you know, the reason why he draws cars and dinosaurs in his book is because when you're going to sit down and draw something for that length of time, you're going to want something you're going to want to draw over yeah and there's an aspect of that in cannonball right i mean there's like this whole it's not a b story but you know she's a fantasy writer and there's yeah those elements of the book yeah and that the that part kind of was me experimenting with like the looser style that i ended up using and like the interim book that's like it's a lot shorter it's like 70 pages but 
that's the one I worked on in between Cannonball coming out. But yeah, that that was all done with like super loose with uh, graphite. Like for one thing, like that I already knew I wanted to have a distinctive other style and other color palette mm-hmm. for to like kind of clue the reader into like we're not in the like regular day to day. Because you do, you kind of drop them in there. They don't know what they're getting themselves into with that story until yeah. it's done almost. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, like, a lot going on with it. Because, of course, like, the main plot line that you would say is, mm-hmm. like, you have – it's kind of a portrait of this person, yeah. Caroline Bertram, who just graduated from college and is, like, struggling with her own ego. Like, yeah. the, what, what like the notions of success and, like, her friends. So, like, that's kind of, the, I guess, the main storyline. And then she, like, writes a book and, like, that's what she does. But then there's also, like, this sort of mythological character, you know, the wrestler named Cannonball. The, the book's named after. And then there's also, like, this kind of subplot that is her her book that she's writing. Then there's also a bunch of, like, dreams that kind of seep into reality, sometimes more, like, directly than others. So there's, like, a lot of things that kind of go into it. So whenever people ask the plot, I'm like, there's, like, maybe, there's kind of, like, three plots. <laughs> Did you feel like you had to distinguish yourself from her? I mean, I'm sure that, that this is something you oh. get a lot of the book comes out is of how much of Yeah, I'm kind of there. like worried about it. Because she's th- she's kind of an asshole. No, she is an asshole. <laughs> and I think like the way that I've been thinking about it enough and I'm kind of distanced enough from it now to kind of look at it. And I think what she kind of encompasses is this sort of like shadow self. Um, how do you mean? I mean, like whenever I was feeling at my worst about... Oh, of you. Of, yeah. Yeah. Every time I've talked about this book, I've been asked a similar question yeah. like this. And I think that there is like a relationship between me and this character, but I am not, that's not how yeah. I am. <laughs> but I think what I was exploring with her is like the capacity for like negativity that you can have if you're like in this sort of like mindset that Caroline has, which I've been guilty of before, but not to the degree that she is, I don't think. How would you define that, the mindset? Whenever I think about her, I think like, obviously she's very negative and she's very mean, but those are like kind of surface level. But I think at her heart, she's a good thing, which is like, or what can be interpreted as a good thing. She's an idealist and like a romantic. But these things, because of those, like I, her notion of like what she wants out of like her art, out of herself, out of her friend group, these ideals, which are unachievable outside of her fake world that she creates in uh, Healers of the Cosmic Heart, which is the name of her book. Mm-hmm. She's disappointed and like angry. She sets herself up for yeah, she's Yeah, she's angry and disappointed with like everybody because because of these ideals. So it's kind of like this good quality that can make someone like really hopeful and like positive, but then can also backfire. I think we're all probably guilty of self-sabotage too. There's yeah. A lot of that in there. <laughs> she goes on like, basically goes on NPR and yeah. just... <laughs> shit talks the host the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the height of her big award, she totally flips out. Yeah. There's like a lot of analysis that you could go into there. And I think whenever I was having her have those sorts of reactions, it's like, it's partially like not what she expected anything to be. And she also, I think, wants to be tortured in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, part of her like core negative, like self-image. I talk to a lot of artists and we go into the idea of imposter syndrome a lot. Every artist who I like or respect and who's not a total asshole has some element of that in them. We all mold ourselves and the image of somebody else and when yeah. you know we don't live up to it it's a disappointment or when we do succeed you know we're generally our fiercest critics yeah and I, that's definitely true of, of Caroline and of myself too and I think in the book like I was kind of using the character cannonball as like the symbol of like 
the most the most pure and powerful form of success or the most pure and powerful like unstoppable force that no one can fuck with because like i think that's why caroline initially becomes like entranced by this character that's like not really like it's not someone she knows it's just like becomes the symbol of okay like this is the thing that or this is how i want to be like i want to be able i want to be unstoppable i want to like at one point uh the character like ascends and it's kind of a joke it's like you know check out my wings <laughs> and that's like what she wants i think too and the i'm not going to talk too much about the ending but there is a sort of like this duality of self like uh spread that includes like caroline and and cannonball's antithesis of each other does memoir interest you i don't think so i think i enjoy like constructing a story around feelings yeah. which if you're writing a memoir obviously you're not just writing and then this happened and then i went to the grocery store whatever like you're still like fictionalizing your life to some yeah. degree because you have to make it not a hundred thousand pages long with a bunch of stuff that no one cares about in it and also there's the bias of how do you want to portray yourself i don't think that i want to do memoir either because i think i don't have enough interesting things happening in my life to justify it I think I do have like this kind of self-analysis thing, though. I think Caroline was part of that. But I think that she's probably the closest I ever want to come to to memoir, just because there is like a lot of parallels with my life mm-hmm. in there, just because I, I wrote it while I was graduating from college and having a lot of like scary feelings. It sounds like fantasy is something that interests you, too. Is that an aspect of it, of just like wanting to draw a fantastical story and finding <laughs> a way to fit it in with this more real-world portrait of a, of a woman? I think... The fantasy aspect was a way to abstract things. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that like fantasy can do really well. So to you, run parallel with the story, and yeah, to run parallel it with it, yeah. yeah. And I've always appreciated that in storytelling in general, just having like a sort of supernatural like element that you know parallels reality enough to kind of elucidate something that mm-hmm. you couldn't, you don't want to just like say. I think about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is like really good at doing this. You know, you have a character who feels like she's invisible. Guess what? She literally mm. becomes invisible. <laughs> I didn't do anything like that, but that was kind of the mindset I was in was like, okay, so here's this person who's struggling with this feeling of hopelessness. Let's write a story where hopelessness is like this giant orb in the sky. That's like, like Freudian superpowers. Almost. <laughs> yeah. Like hopelessness is this giant orb in the sky that's sucking all the happiness out of the world. And you're the only one who can stop yeah. it. As you're kind of exploring this for your style, do you feel like you're moving towards abstraction as far as storytelling goes? I still really like having the sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, like slice of life mm-hmm. sort of um, narratives. The thing that I like to explore in stories is larger things thematic things that are greater than the thing that actually happens, I Mm. guess. But I don't think I would go from this book. I'm not planning to go into strictly fantasy or something. I think I want to stick with like these stories and keep getting asked forever if they really happened. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see how the two things can coexist to get further away from reality and the art, but to have one foot in there with the story. Yeah. And I I don't know if I, if I'll ever completely divorce some, some aspect of either supernatural or like non-reality that interacts the story that I'm kind of like noodling with right now includes a choose your own adventure mm. subplot that almost I'm like, okay, I have a pattern here. Like I'm just always going to have this sort of secondary narrative yeah. that is like somehow supporting the other one. But I don't know how it's all going to play out yet. Cause I'm still at the beginning. This is something that I think I really want to include, which maybe I'll even like have a little zine that is this like choose your own adventure. Supplementary content. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. If anybody is a game designer and wants a <laughs> A series of, like, choices game. Like, not not very long. What are those larger themes in Cannonball? In Cannonball, like, besides, like, uh, Caroline's own, like, personality with the idealist romantic, this is kind of archetypal of, like, 
an artist would like an A. I guess the theme there is the contrast of romanticism when that's hit with reality. Yeah, and so and, that, and then the other theme there is also like the concept of success. And whenever you mm. are a creative and you have to somehow sell these things that are basically your soul and make a living off of them and like how much of that can you do and like where is like what's your threshold for how much you're willing to like change what you do in order to make a living. And I think that with Caroline's character, the answer is not very much, but she ends up accidentally like stepping over this line. And I think that also is a part of her like major conflict with the entire thing, with the book that she writes, I mean. And then there are all these side characters that are much more comfortable with doing their like the work that they're passionate about and the hours they're not at work, which is uh, with her like best friend, Penn, who uh, does like a piece for an art show but has taken a, a nine-to-five job. Does the illustration work you do, does that feel like a creative compromise? I don't think so. Like, I think that I'm doing something different. By default, it's less about, like, what the the idea is, because, like, a lot of times, you know, you are given a, a piece, an editorial piece, and you have to make the art relate to it. You get a lot of leeway depending on who you're working with, but uh, to some degree it's like I'm doing puzzles uh, whenever I'm doing illustration work. And comics can be a puzzle, too, especially, like, in the thumbnailing stage after you write a script, or at least that's how I work it. Illustration is like a series of puzzles, which is, like, gratifying in a different way. And then I'm also experimenting with technique just all the time. It's sort of an interesting balance to strike because you want to have a defining visual style so that people yeah. know what they're getting when they hire you. Yeah. But it sounds like you're also trying to fuck with that at the same time <laughs> with you... illustration, but even more so with the comics. Yeah. At the beginning of writing and working on Cannonball, I did have like a kind of more clean digital style. Mm. And that boils down to the fact that I like, I got a Cintiq for the first time okay. and I was like stoked about you it. You were drawing on the computer. Yeah. And then after like not touching paper for like eight months, I was like starting to feel like my art didn't exist, you know? So I was like, okay. You couldn't I, hold it in your hand. I couldn't hold it and I didn't I didn't like have it anywhere. And as soon as I like sent it off to the client and like put it in a file, I was I would just forget it even existed. So I wanted to go back into paper and then I started like experimenting with materials and now I'm kind of doing everything with colored pencils, which is how I approached like the cover art for the book. And that was like wash and colored pencil, but the interior is all digital except for the parts that are from healers. How did you settle on colored pencil? That came from like some exper experimentation in my sketchbook and also just being really inspired by a lot of people around me who were yeah. using more traditional materials. It's interesting to go back to something that you, you know, you like did as a kid and have this like rush of memory when you have that same tactile sensation and i i draw with like really hard and yeah. like really fast with them and i think that's also why to I, say you're kind of like miming yeah. holding it in <laughs> yeah. a fist basically yeah it's a, i that's the way I, I draw with them and i think that that's something that colored pencils can do i mean i suppose i could be using crayons too yeah. or something but you can't really do that with well yeah you probably could do it with paint but not as fast because you know you, you, can't, really, you can't really jam a paintbrush <laughs> yeah. into a paper the same way but you way. can get wild with it but that's something like the act of like scribbling things and that's how I was like doing my sketches for before I like cleaned them up to send to a client and it's the way that I was uh, doing a lot of doodles in my sketchbook before that. Playing around with the medium is going to continue to be a big part of the experimentation that you're doing? I think so. I mean, I, I want to, with again, like referencing the, the next book, Crimes, that came out, that one was a uh, black colored pencil mm. and like a really rough, like shitty brush that I had. It's It was messed up. Like, <laughs> so that one was like, this sort of change in medium between digital and, and traditional would be just to have the mistakes and to have the, the you can just, you just know it, it, it's real. Like, it, it, I don't know. It feels 
different, I think. How important do you think sexuality is as a theme in the book? I think that with this particular story, there are some like important moments, especially like towards the beginning where we see like Caroline struggling to like find any sort of romantic like success at all. And she doesn't really like in the entire story. That's how life goes, right? Yeah. You, you, you can only be successful at one thing at a time, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that was just like a, I always want my characters to be queer. I think that mm-hmm. that's like an important thing for me. So a lot of her experience, I mean, it's just part of her character. Yeah. Like this is just part of like the narrative that is exploring her life and her queerness is a part of that. I suppose there's a way to do it and make it almost, but do you feel like you'd be doing a disservice? I think that the thing that Cannibal does with Caroline's sexuality is that it's it's not the focus of the narrative, yeah. but it is an aspect of her character. And there are, like, times where it just comes up in the narrative. Like, there there's, like, a flashback to her coming out and, like, mm-hmm. having her best friend there um, that, like, lets you know, like, how deep their relationship is. And also, like, at the beginning of the narrative, she's also writing a lot about this broken heart that she can't seem to get over from the first person she dated, which I think... In her, like, relationship to love and romance, which is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's like a backseat in the story, mm-hmm. but it is in there a little bit. Uh, there's, like, a scene where she's at a party and, like, this, like, stoned guy is, like, asking, like, if she's ever been in love or whatever. And she describes, like, this, like, what love feels like to her. And it's, like, this horrible thing. It's, like, <laughs> it's like drowning in muck. I think that is kind of cluing into, like, her larger, like sort of like the larger like theme of the story about like her like idealism and romanticism mm-hmm. and having this sort of like craving for an, an intense experience that is probably not possible or if it is possible is not sustainable. I guess it's a big part of the reason why it's important to have a script in place and have yeah. it somewhat tightly scripted in that is that you're juggling a lot of things and there are a lot of things that you want to come come into play here and it's easy to do a disservice to any one of them yeah. if you don't have all of that sort of lined up when you sit down and start work on it. Yeah. And I think this one I I definitely spent a lot of time putting together the the narrative and organizing it to the point where I don't feel like that there's that many like lines that are useless I think nothing's wasted yeah especially because you know whenever you're working in comics like if you write a paragraph in a google doc or whatever that could translate to 10 pages in a mm-hmm. comic. So it's like yeah. you have to be like, okay, like what's important? So I did like a lot of editing the original script. So, and then sometimes I would, you know, get down to the, to the page and I would be like, you don't even need to say that. And then just, you know, change the dialogue and move on. You mentioned that, I think before we turn the mics on that you, because we were talking about Milka and you mentioned that you won an award for one of the books. Yeah. Are you better at accepting praise than she is? <laughs> I think that's something that we both struggle with, yeah. but I do accept it and I don't get pissed about it. It's something that I I do seek out, even though it's it can mean whatever you want it to mean. But I like medals. I do. <laughs> the book's been getting positive press. Do you feel like that will have ultimately an impact on your work going forward, the people's reaction to it? The way I've been thinking about it, just because it, it is kind of weird, because obviously, like, the story is about Caroline writing her first novel mm-hmm. and getting it published. And this is my first graphic yeah. novel and it's getting published. You know, I wrote it before this happened, but now that it's happening, it feels like, oh, isn't just this just your life? And I'm like, well, it wasn't. You feel like the writing was accurate then? I mean, that that, that you're kind of well. Sometimes it gets out. a little eerie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it was it was all like you know fiction or whatever. The way I see it is, it's like this thing that isn't. As long as I don't think of it as me. Which is where Caroline and I differ. I think that she thinks of her work as herself. Um, you don't think of your work as you? Not 
as directly related to my ego, I don't think. And I think that that's like a, like a healthier way to interact yeah. with the world. Because especially whenever you're creating something that's meant to be consumed and read, people should be able to enjoy that without me popping up and being like, if you say anything bad about my book, I'm going to take it personally. I have this weird impulse where somebody compliments a thing that I don't think is the best thing, mm -hmm. or they compliment an aspect of the work that I don't particularly like. Yeah. I get weirdly angry at that. Yeah, and then maybe like you're you're like Caroline a little bit. Then yeah, too. I'm sure we all are. Yeah, but part of I think what you're getting at is a part of like making yeah. a book and releasing it is just letting it exist in the world. Yeah, and letting like there's something there's a point in the book whenever Caroline is like at a sidewalk sale type mm -hmm. thing, and this really like aggressively like judgmental person from college shows up and calls her a uh, novel, a kids book, and like. That's the first time we kind of see her like go off the rails angry mm. and in like just completely just this giant blob of text that's like completely pissed talking. And that's kind of, you know, you, you, that just came to mind whenever you said that, like somebody saying the wrong thing, even yeah. if it is like in some ways like positive, you know, because like there, I mean, there was like some snide remarks made, but the overall thing was like, I like your work or whatever, but it's also like, how do you, a person could say the same thing, like a, like a positive thing to three different people mm -hmm. and mean it. And like every person could like just take the way that they said something and train it, like sure. change it like to, through the process of their mind into something negative. This is, this is another part of, I think going through life and getting older is the realization that your interactions with people has very little to do with the situation itself. Mm -hmm. And so much of it just has to do with the baggage that people are having, the days that they've had, things like that. Yeah. And to some point, like the way that the book is structured too, it's kind of, there's a part one and there's a part two. And part one, I think, is to recognize Caroline's baggage. And then part two is to see like this sort of thing that she's wanted, always wanted sort of happen. Or yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of dubious to know like what exactly she wants. And like the way that I kind of thought about it was whatever she doesn't have is what she wants. So that's kind of a, a difficult character trait and it can make uh, a person an asshole really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe there's a fear of getting everything you want, exactly what you want too fast. Yeah. And there's this sort of like bookended thing in, in the story where Caroline gets into this zine called The Graveyard and she like shits on it and says it's like the worst thing because, you know, She's already been in it, so it's not no longer good. And then at the end of the story, after her book got published, she says, I've been rejected by this zine that I got published in before because, like, they don't want my work anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, sad. And it's, like, this funny thing where it's, like, well, before, whenever you had it, you hated it. And now, whenever you can't have it, it's you wish you were that person again who was getting published in the zine and not, like, you know, at this, like, party with all of these, like kind of snobby people. Is it cathartic to inhabit an asshole for that long? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, and whenever I mentioned that she's kind of like a shadow self or like sort of mm -hmm. all of these negative parts of my own personality, I think in a lot of ways writing this book like helped me like kind of dissect those yeah. parts of myself and like look at them. And I don't know, like I've referred to it as kind of like trying to banish those things. 
There you go. That was Kelsey Roten. You can find her work all over the place. She's been published in the New York Times, New Yorker, NPR, Vice, and many others. Her new book, newish book, Cannibal, is out now on Uncivilized Books. Thanks to Tom and Uncivilized for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to Kelsey for doing that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rulcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rulcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL related information. And that's about all we got for this week. So stick around because we're going to be back in a few days with another episode of RIYL. 